All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be talking to John Little. Lots of gems, lots of Joe Lewis all up in Bruce Lee's face, and lots of Bruce Lee. He just gave up on Wing Chun, right? Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm well, Alex. How are you doing? Good, good. Very excited to have you here again. Um, so I think you are the guest that needs no introduction to this podcast. So uh, for those of you, for the three people who may watch this podcast who don't know, this is John Little. John Little is, I would consider, one of the foremost experts on Bruce Lee. Uh, as a In my formative teen years, I read John Little's books about Bruce Lee, and it's very weird for me to be having conversations with him and to be even quoted in his new book uh, because I consider it kind of weird. Most of what I know about Bruce Lee I got from John Little's books. <laughs> it's kind of uh, a very, very uh, huge honor for me to have you here. And uh, the top two podcasts, uh, podcast episodes on this channel, uh, with the exception of the, the Bruce Lee drug letters, are both of our interviews. So they have reigned supreme. They are still, even right now, they are the top two uh, watched episodes on this channel are both of our interviews. The first one we did was... Uh, on the real fights of Bruce Lee, which is kind of uh, part of the reason why we're here again today. And the second one, we did an episode on uh, Bruce Lee's training methods. So um, yeah, so why we have John Little back, besides the fact that it's a guaranteed uh, uh, top episode for my channel, is we have a new book. We have A Wrath of the Dragon, The Real Fights of Bruce Lee, which I'm very... Uh, proud to say, according to John in the inside description, this book is all my fault based on that episode that we did. So John, uh, maybe you can uh, go into a little bit um, how you got this idea and, um, you know, how you kind of started to put these things together. Well, um, as indicated in the inscription, uh, you had me on your podcast and the first I guess the, the, the raison d'etre for my being there was we were going to talk about Bruce Lee's real fights because, uh, you know, a lot of uh, martial artists, I would say a lot, but a vociferous minority, um, were still of the opinion that he was just a movie guy, he couldn't really fight, you know, what's the big deal? There was no record of any of his fights. Um, and we discussed it. You know, we went into some detail. And... I watched the podcast, uh, I don't know, a week or two maybe later, and uh, there were a lot. What, what intrigued me was the responses of people in the comments saying, oh, finally, you know, people are, you know, the, the truth about Bruce is coming out and, um, you know, that, uh, that the, someone will show that these MMA guys were in error. And, and I thought, really, like, is that? Like to me, it was like everybody knew this stuff. I didn't think I was I was sharing anything that was uh, never heard before, nobody knew about. I mean, I, I'm I, I think it's safe to assume that most of the real zealot uh, Bruce Lee fans were aware of it. I knew that I knew some anecdotes they may not be aware of, just because of different people I'd spoken to. But uh, I had not anticipated that response, and it's funny because it brought me back to 1974 when a karate school had opened down the street from me. And, you know, back at that time, every dojo had a poster of Bruce Lee in it. And this one was no exception. Uh, it was by the change room. It was the black and white one that said, Enter the Dragon, Bruce, with the cuts on his face and the stance. And, uh, you know, to me, it was like, yeah, okay, this is it. This is what Bruce took, right? Karate, Shido-ru karate. Uh, <laughs> and that's what our instructor led us to believe when we were paying our fees. But uh, I was I was going, I figured, well, Bruce trained every day. I'm going to train every day. So every day I was in taking two, three, four karate classes. And um, I remember I was waiting for the class when I was in a little foyer area where they had, you know, a little, like a love seat here and a, a rack of magazines or table and um there was a green belt who was probably about 40 and i was like 13 and 
I don't know what, I, he, he must have heard me. I was talking to someone. And back then, if you weren't talking about Bruce Lee with me, we weren't having a conversation. So <laughs> uh, I just said something about Bruce Lee and he uh, inserted himself into the conversation. And he said, Bruce Lee, because he couldn't fight. And I was like, what, what, what? I was like he was from Mars. I didn't understand. What, <laughs> And he said, nah, he goes, uh, every time, you know, those Chinese, uh, you know, bullshit artists with their poison fingers and they'd go over to Thailand, they get knocked cold by the Thai boxers. And I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know about Thai boxing. I didn't know about poison fingers. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about this stuff. Uh, and he's, and uh, so I had no rebuttal. I, he said, yeah, who's he ever fought? Who'd he fight? What tournament was he in? I had no answer. All I had was Linda Lee's book and Alex Ben Block's book, you know, for reference. And uh, there was an incident where, you know, he was in a boxing match, but they didn't really say much about it in high school. Uh, he'd had a rooftop fight, but details were pretty sketchy about that. He won. But apart from that, there really, you know, wasn't maybe, maybe a scrap on the set of Enter the Dragon. And against that, he threw down a copy of Karate Illustrated in front of me. And Joe Lewis was on the cover. And he was in a tournament fighting, oh, I forget who it was. I want to say Thomas LaPuppet, but I'm wrong. Um, and he said, there, now there's a fighter. That's a real guy. He's fought in these tournaments. He's won these tournaments. And again, I had no comeback. I was humbled, you know. And um, so when I eventually, fast forwarding, when I got the opportunity to interview people that knew Bruce, that trained with Bruce, one of the first questions I'd always work into it was, did you ever see him fight? Could he fight? And I got all of these responses. And so when I was reading those comments in your um, podcast, I, I it just took me back to that time where, you know what, maybe there should be a book that is written about this. You know, So the people who, like myself all those years ago, did not have an answer, have a footnoted, fully referenced authoritative guide as to the fact that yes he could fight um uh, tournaments are another question but uh, could bruce lee fight i think has been answered definitively right uh that's also the thing that um really strikes me about your new book is that you know i've read obviously all your books the other books on bruce lee and then it really hit me when i first saw the cover of your book that no one had ever written this book before. And it's kind of mind-blowing that no one came up with this idea before, being that this is kind of the thing that everyone wants to know. It's like it's one thing to learn about his martial arts style of Jeet Kune Do. There's plenty of books on that subject, plenty of biographies. But the fact that no one tried to chronicle these things before is actually quite mind-blowing. And I think, well, I mean, probably no better person to do it than you, but uh, it's... It's really incredible because even as a hardcore Bruce Lee fan, as I consider myself, there were many stories in here and many um, uh, fights and, and, and things that happened between Bruce and, and other martial artists that I had never even heard about. When you started doing the research for this book, uh, what uh, was there a story or an anecdote that... Um, really blew your socks off in terms of either it went totally contrary to what the narrative was or it was just something you just didn't expect? Because I definitely saw there were a few things in here that I was uh, uh, really impressed with. So I was curious, you know, was there anything you heard where you were like, wow, you didn't expect that, you know, he had something with this guy or that this thing had happened? Um, well, the thing is, all of those things that I wrote about weren't new to me when I wrote the book. They're always... I'd always remembered them. So there was nothing new. I, if ones that, that leapt out at me that I had uh, known about, but maybe had put on the back burner or forgotten about, uh, would be things like his sparring match with Ryan O'Neill. That was like, wow. Because what, what I did learn when I was researching was that Ryan O'Neill was a Golden Glove boxer and a very good one. So, I mean, for the benefit of the listener who doesn't know the story, um, Blake Edwards, the, the well-known director of the Pink Panther series, among other films, Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, was doing a movie uh, with the name of which escapes me. I, I, I want to say The Reavers, but that was Steve McQueen, I think. Or no, it was. Was it The Reavers? No, it was a Western. Anyway, he was doing a Western movie. And Ryan O'Neill was fresh off 
uh, love story movie where he was celebrated. So he was a, he was an A-lister at that point. And um, Blake had been taking karate from one of Ed Parker's black belts. In fact, Tom Bleeker uh, was his instructor. And uh, Ryan O'Neill had no use for the martial arts. You know, he thought boxing is the real deal. And uh, he wasn't impressed with it. And, and he saw Blake Edwards as being essentially an insecure guy. You know, that's why he's trying to wrap himself up with black belts and, you know, his instructors on the set. And, and he would make disparaging remarks um, to Blake Edwards about the martial arts. Like, Ooh, are you going to do something, you know? And, um, and when Tom Bleeker came on the set, he would do the same thing. And, you know, I mean, Ryan O'Neill was, was a tough guy. Like, he, we think of him as an actor, but I remember watching footage of Ryan O'Neill sparring Joe Frazier. Wow. Muhammad Ali at ringside saying, wow, this guy's good. Like, the way he's moving, if he wasn't moving the way he was, you know, Joe Frazier would hurt him. Um, so O'Neill was very confident, very cocky, and very good. Like I say, he was in the Golden Gloves, I think, twice. And he had an impressive amateur record. He fought amateurs. Um, so anyway, Blake Edwards knew of Bruce Lee and decided that he would bring a ringer onto the set. You know, the complete, <laughs> this is the real story of a ringer on the set as opposed to the Gene LaBelle legend right. uh, with the Green Hornet. So uh, Bruce came onto the set and and Blake Edwards couldn't get him over to Ryan O'Neill quick enough, you know. Hey, Bruce, uh, Bruce Ryan, uh, Bruce does martial arts, you know, and then stand back and watch. And sure enough, it, they got talking and uh, uh, Bruce told him what he liked about boxing and also what its limitations were. <laughs> and Ryan was like, oh, really? You really think you can do this and you can do that? And Bruce said, well, try and hit me. And that was the beginning of it. Ryan tried. And Bruce apparently, according to Ryan O'Neill, punched and kicked him. Not hard, but enough to let him know, like in a sparring match, that you're, right. you're, you're outnumbered, you're outgunned. He figured 100 times in about 15 seconds. Wow. And he was driven back into a trailer, you know, which they have for the actors. And he said, okay, that's enough, it's enough. You know, basically, I, I give up. And he was, like, shaking his head in disbelief. But, of course, Bruce didn't leave it at that. It was like, oh, well, if you like that, here, hold this air shield. And then he <laughs> did his signature sidekick, which drove Ryan O'Neill into his trailer and hurt him, actually. Because Blake Edwards said to me when I spoke to him, um, you know, Ryan had a bad back after that. He said, I'm not sure what it was, but he said, I, I'm pretty sure it was from that sidekick. Wow. So that was a story that had been told, and Bleeker had actually written about it in Black Belt magazine. But when I was going through my interviews that I had done over the years, including Blake Edwards, there it was. So I thought, well, that certainly qualifies as a sparring match, especially against a guy who was not merely an actor, sure. but an actual Golden Gloves boxer. So, right, right. Yeah, that one, that's an incredible that one, story. That one uh, I, was one that I thought was pretty cool. As far as real fights go, I'd be actually more interested to hear what ones surprised you. Um, yeah, well, I think uh, although it had been talked about in, uh, I think, in Matt Polly's book, I think the dust-up with Joe Lewis where mm. Bruce got a little upset um, because I think Joe was kind of, was it Bob Bremer? Um, that he was uh, he was roughing up one of Bruce's oh, Herb students. Jackson. Oh, Herb, Herb Jackson, Jackson, yes, Herb yeah. Jackson. And yeah. then uh, Bruce decided to kind of cut in because this is a perennial one in my YouTube comments because uh, I think the late Joe Lewis, very much like Chuck Norris, you know, if, if you didn't like what he had to say about Bruce Lee, just wait for the next interview. He'll say something else and he'll change yeah. his tune. And yeah. so you, you have uh, in, you know, in one interview, Joe Lewis absolutely praising Bruce Lee and in another interview or in another anecdote or whatever, saying, oh, he wasn't really a fighter or this, that or whatever. Um, yeah. Interesting thing. I actually my very first boxing lesson that I ever took because I did karate in the 1980s. Um, my first boxing lesson was actually with Joe Lewis. 
Oh, really? In in the late eighties, he was teaching oh. a sem. He was doing some seminars uh, around around the U.S. And one of my uh, karate classmates was like, "Hey, Joe Lewis, this guy. He's in movies. He trained with Bruce Lee. He's going to be teaching a seminar. Do you want to go?" And I was like, "Sure." And when I went to the seminar, I was I was really young. And I'm in my karate gi, but the whole time he was actually teaching boxing combinations. So I could legitimately say that my first boxing lesson was actually from Joe Lewis. Uh, and that cool. was my only experience with him. He didn't, uh, I don't recall him saying anything or even talking about Bruce Lee at all. And no. then in later years, I would find out, you know, what their relationship was like. And then I read about that dust up um, with Herb Jackson in Polly's book. And then you talk about it um, yeah. for whatever reason. This is the thing that pops up in the YouTube comments the most, perhaps even more so than whether he fought Chuck Norris was always like, well, you know, Joe Lewis, this, that and the other thing. And yeah. um, I think the big preface is the one thing about saying these things about Bruce Lee is Bruce Lee was not the one who was making claims about all these fights that he was in. It's like he passed yeah. away. And now we as fans or people who are interested in Bruce Lee are trying to piece these things together. But it wasn't like Bruce was like a Frank Dukes, come, you know, saying that he won, you know, fought in Akumite and beat all of these people. And now here we are 50 years after his death trying to substantiate ridiculous stories. Um, Bruce didn't go around talking about all these things, but it seemed like a lot of these things happened because other people said it and not just his students and not just his fans, like the Ryan O'Neill story, people yeah. who had no skin in the game to prop up Bruce Lee um, because it comes up again and again. Uh, and obviously I don't want you to give everything away from your book, but could you just maybe clarify a little bit what kind of had happened with, you know, Bruce and Joe Lewis, especially at the end uh, one, maybe a, a little bit about this sp this sparring session and a little bit about when Joe Lewis showed up to Bruce's house all pissed off and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hey, Kung Fu Genius fans. If you like what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as five bucks a month, you'll get early access to episodes and other goodies not posted on the Kung Fu Genius channel. With higher levels of support, you can get your name in the description, a live chat with me, or at the baller level, you even get your own personal KFG episode with me as my guest. The link to our Patreon page is in the description of this episode below. Patreons have a direct link to chat with me and get first dibs on any questions for Ask Me Anything episodes. Click on the link in the description for our Patreon page for more information, and I'll see you on Patreon. Um, well... Uh, it, it's funny when I was uh, doing the muscle and fitness article on Bruce's training methods, I was in LA and uh, when I finally got the green light from the editor in chief to do this article, it was like, Oh, awesome. Now I've got an entree to speak to people that knew and trained with Bruce. Who's it going to be? And I thought, well, certain names came to mind right away. You know, Danny Inasano, uh, Ted Wong, uh, um, June Ree, um, people that I, I had seen photos of Bruce with, you know. The other students weren't so, um, weren't in the magazines quite so much then. So, like guys like Bob Bremer, never saw him in the magazine, although he spent time with Bruce, right? right. Uh, Joy, Joey Orbeo, the boxer, spent time with Bruce. He wasn't in the magazines. But uh, Joe Lewis was, and I remembered that. And I was, it's funny, the, the green belt I mentioned, uh, he told me at the time, he, he said, when he threw that magazine down and said, Joe Lewis is the guy, he said, yeah, it's funny, you kind of look a little like him. You wouldn't know it now, obviously, but uh, back in back in my hirsute days. Uh, <laughs> so I, I took that as a tremendous compliment, you know, because Joe Lewis was this great looking dude and, Right. Uh, so I always liked Joe Lewis because, you know, hey, he looked like me, you know, so I got to like the guy. <laughs> but then I found out he studied with Bruce and was like, wow, you know, I'm uh, I'm, full, I'm in. You know, Joe Lewis is, I'm a fan. And I, I watched him when he got into kickboxing later in his career and I made sure I watched the telecast and was happy when he won and um, would buy magazines with articles about Joe in it and, uh uh, so I was really pleased. And then he kind of did this about face about Bruce, right? It was initially came out with angular attack in a magazine called professional karate and no mention of Bruce. It was just, it was like Joe had developed this. 
And it was the five ways of attack, basically. But then uh, I think the universe kind of changed after the movie Dragon came out and there was a renewed uh, interest in Bruce and there was money to be made in seminars. So then it was like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I knew Bruce. And if you learn something from Bruce, you had a seminar to teach and people were coming. So that was that was what Joe did later. But anyway, to your question, uh, Joe Lewis was one of, of course, three of the premier martial artists in America in terms of the karate competition scene, you know, apart from Chuck Norris and Mike Stone. Um, and Mike Stone, I believe, signed up with Bruce first. And because Mike Stone had this reputation, uh, the other martial artists thought, oh, okay, so he's not just a Kato Gung Fu type guy. Uh, he, he actually knows something about fighting. Yeah, and as Stone said, he improved my technique, you know, manyfold. Uh, this guy was brilliant and he was, he was the real deal. So eventually, you know, long story short, Joe Lewis signed on for some privates with Bruce Lee at his house. Um, and he was doing very well in tournaments. In fact, I quote a Black Belt magazine article in which they say it's a new Lewis on the mat, meaning his, his whole style had changed. If you watch videos of Joe prior to that, he's very rooted and the stance is very wide, very traditional, and there's no mobility, you know, and perhaps you didn't need to be so mobile back in the day, but he his weapon was a sidekick. He had a good sidekick and uh, a reverse punch. Those were his two uh, prime techniques. And anyway, he worked with Bruce and suddenly he was fluid. He was, he was fast. He was anticipatory. He was... He was a new Joe Lewis, and uh, what he won, he uh, acknowledged Bruce as being his Sifu and Jeet Kune Do as being the art that he was representing. And, of course, Bruce loved that. You know, that was good. That was free promotion for him. Yes. But, uh, you know, Joe Lewis went on to say that it was a, it was a, a double standard Bruce employed. He was using me to promote his art and validate his hypotheses on martial arts when that really wasn't the case. Bruce could care less if Joe, I mean, he could care less. He, he basically dismissed him, um, you know, to, to get sanctioned from him. <laughs> but he also no doubt enjoyed uh, the fact that this guy was doing very well and was racking up wins and that he was doing it as a result of Bruce's teaching. Yes, Joe Lewis was good before he ever met Bruce Lee, but he was not that good like that good that you know that that was a a pretty cool thing but uh i think joe's at the very least had an ego the size of bruce's you know so uh he was beginning to believe in my opinion that uh he he was sharing the spotlight it was looking like yeah you're good but like that article implied you're good because bruce taught you you know it was bruce pulling the strings behind the scenes that made you this good. And I think it's somebody who's a proud, uh, some would say vain, uh, champion, which you probably have to be to compete at that level. Uh, that rubbed him the wrong way. You know, he wanted the glory. He want, he was the one in there doing the, the fight. And afterwards it should be he that gets the acknowledgement. So for one reason or another, there was a tournament. Bruce went to watch it. And when Joe Lewis was announced to come out and fight for the championship, it said Joe Lewis, who, uh, whose style is Okinawa Tay, and I forget the name of his instructor, it's in the book, uh, but it wasn't Bruce Lee. Um, and Bruce got pissed, according to Joe. It was like, and I understand it. You know, I mean, Bruce had spent hours with this guy, brought him to another level, and then he acknowledges an instructor he had long before Bruce as being the guy. So Bruce was pissed off about that. Um, and Joe tried to say, oh, well, you know, I just filled out the application and, you know, and I didn't know he was going to read it. Uh, you know, okay, fine. Um, so there was a bit of resentment that had started at that point. Between both of them, Joe resented the fact that it looked like Bruce was his, um, you know, his, his dictator, teacher, uh, Sifu. And Bruce resented the fact that this guy was an ingrate, 
You know, I'd spend time with him. I'd shared stuff that I developed and researched, and he attributes his success to some other guy. So there was that friction already. And then uh, one night, because they didn't, they would they would go out for dinner on occasion. And on this night, Ted Wong and Herb Jackson went with them. And typically, they'd go downtown L.A. for to a Chinese restaurant. And of course, the the school was there. Right? It was closed, but Bruce had a key. So in they went, and uh, you know, apart from getting fuel, uh, Bruce was interested in sparring and fighting. And he said to Herb, put on the gloves with Joe. Now, Bruce had done this before with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Jabbar did very well against Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis couldn't touch him. And Bruce said, here's what Joe does, here's what you need to do, Kareem did it, and he nullified Joe Lewis's attacks. I think Bruce thought I'll do the same thing with her, which would be even more of a point of, of getting a point across to Joe as to why you were successful, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, because if, if a 40, at that time, 40-year-old, five foot five, you know, 132-pound guy could, could nullify Joe Lewis's attacks, well, you know, what do you attribute your success to, Joe? Sure, you know? sure. But Herb wasn't Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, he did, was not an athlete, a superior athlete. He wasn't seven foot two. Um, and consequently, it was a mismatch from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ever knew Herb, he was, he was a pretty gentle soul. I can't see him being a, a tiger if you put gloves on him. But uh, anyway, Joe, Joe was, I guess, thought this was a pointless exercise. So he's gave Herb an open palm strike in the ear. Herb thought he, he broke his eardrum. He went down to his knees and everything was ringing. And of course, at that point, Bruce thought, well, the lesson isn't over yet. And he took the gloves from Herb and told Joe to stick around for a minute. And then they sparred. And according to Herb, you know, he recounted it with some relish. He said, Joe Lewis couldn't touch him. He said, Bruce is just too... That was, that's a refrain that you'll see quite frequently in the book. Bruce's attribute was speed, like hands down, that was it. And, and people could not deal with his speed. Um, Joe Lewis made the comment later, he's the fastest man who ever stood in front of him. And, and he knew that because when Bruce moved, he, there was nothing you could do. It was just, uh, as you know, as a martial artist, there is a reaction time. If I throw a strike at you, something's going on subconsciously in your neural system on how to process, how to react to it. What type of strike is it? What sort of move should I make? Should I retreat? Should I proceed forward? Is it best to block or parry? All these things go through, but that takes time. Even though it's going so fast, there's a lag time. And because of Bruce's speed, that lag time always played to his advantage. Because by the time you were about to react, he'd, he'd already hit you and withdrawn. So that's what happened with Joe Lewis. I mean, Bruce, Bruce hit him at will. Again, like with the Ryan O'Neill, he wasn't trying, it wasn't a fight. They weren't trying to, he wasn't trying to kill him, but he was letting them know, as he said to Herb afterwards, when he took the gloves off, he said, I just wanted Joe Lewis to know he doesn't have all the answers. Right. And that was, you know, and who did have all the answers? Well, <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so that was that was their sparring match. So you had the falling out of the tournament. You had the sparring match where, you know, Bruce, I would say, embarrassed Joe uh, in that encounter. Um, and then finally, the the what Joe Lewis told me, um, and I had corroborated, was that. And Matthew Pauly also speaks about this in the book, that Joe Lewis's wife was um, putting highlights on Bruce's hair, cutting his hair or something. And when she got back, she told Joe that Bruce had made a pass at her. Well, Joe was incensed instantly. So incensed, in fact, that he didn't even change out of a suit and tie that he happened to be wearing. So he drove over to Bruce's place, stormed around to the back of the house in Bel Air, and pounded on the screen door, which led into the kitchen. And, uh, you know, Bruce went over and, and stood in the screen door and looked at him. And Joe said, you know, you made a pass at my wife. And, and Bruce was like, his words, Joe told me, were, you're an idiot. <laughs> he called Linda over and said, tell Linda what you just said. 
Well, in fairness to Joe, he was in a rough spot now. Right. Because if he says, well, they asked Linda, so why would you believe that? And so now Joe's in the top spot because if he says why, then he's calling Bruce a liar who just denied it. And that could be a dangerous thing. Uh, if he says, ah, that wife of mine, you know, <laughs> there she goes again. Uh, well, now he's in trouble <laughs> with the marriage, right? So right, right. He, he can't win in this situation. Right. And uh, Joe Lewis told me that. And and after, and that's about as much as he told me. And I said, well, well, what happened? And he said, well, we kind of had it out there. I said, well, had it out. What do you, what do you mean? And then kind of, <laughs> yeah, kind of trailed away. And I thought, well, that's, that's odd because, you know, what little I knew of Bruce then, I knew that if someone went up to challenge him, which Joe Lewis said he did, he accepted. Right. And he said that himself to Dan Lee on that tape, right? They challenge, I just accept it, right? Right. And, and that is a pattern you see occurring throughout the book. Um, so anyway, I hung up from Joe Lewis and it was, I asked him at the time, I said, well, what was the last thing Bruce Lee ever said to you? So the last time they spoke. And he said, well, he called me a punk. <laughs> uh, take some cojones to call Joe Lewis a punk. Right, right. Uh, anyway, it just it seemed like that was an odd resolution because Joe Lewis was a tough guy. He was a great fighter. And, and here's Bruce Lee who never refuses a challenge and has a hair-trigger temper. And a guy who's basically come up and made an accusation to his face in front of his wife. So it would just be odd if Bruce went, oh, well, you know, Joe, go on home and you know, sleep it off. I'm sure you'll see that it, uh, this is really pointless. It's, that wasn't Bruce, right? Right. So anyway, I was, it was in my head. I thought that something else happened. And I asked uh, another martial artist, I forget who it was, who knew Bruce. I said, did you ever hear about what happened with Joe and Bruce? And he said, uh, not really. I, I, as I understand it, Bruce put him in a headlock or something, and it kind of dissolved. And, but it was too vague. It was like, mm. Well, anyway, I happened to call Bob Wall next. Now, Bob Wall, the late Bob Wall, uh, was not one to let, you know, the facts get in the way of a good story. But, <laughs> so I, I, I was weighing anything he told me very cautiously. Sure, sure. So when I introduced the subject, I said, listen, um, I just, you know, the other day got up to one with Joe Lewis and, uh, you know, and Joe and... Bob had been business partners. They owned a karate studio, I think in Sherman Oaks or Tarzana or one of those places in California. And he knew him. In fact, Joe Lewis had broken three of Bob's ribs or one of them anyway in a sparring session. So they were quite familiar with one another right. and were business partners. And I said, you know, do you know anything about this, how they, they ended their relationship? Because... Joe told me, you know, they were talking between a screen door and Bruce called Linda over and, and then it kind of faded to black. I said, I don't know right. what happened. He goes, oh, I know what happened. He goes, I knew both of them. He said, I heard it from both sides. He said, <laughs> he said, uh, Bruce got right in his face and said, you know, come on, you know, motherfucker, we're going to, we're going to do this <laughs> right now. And, and he said, and Joe Lewis didn't, didn't want to do it at that point. And, you know, Kareem told me the same thing. He said, hey, Joe Lewis had his opportunity. You know, if he wanted to, you know, put Bruce straight or, uh, you know, basically assert that who was the better fighter, he said he had the opportunity, he didn't take it. Right. And and that was that story. So I, I, I don't doubt Bob Wall's account of that because it meshes with what we know about Bruce. And as, as Bob said, he said, you know, he said, Bruce was nobody's punk. He said he would, he said, and again, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight of the dog in the fight. And he said, it was a lot of fight in Bruce Lee. And he said, at that time, he said, I don't think Joe Lewis would have, uh, would have engaged. He said, you know, maybe he would now, but uh, not then. Hmm. So what's weird backstory to that. Sometime after I, written or, or interviewed them for the muscle and fitness article. I got a call from Jim Coleman of black belt magazine. He said, Oh, can you write an article on Bruce Lee for black belt? And I said, yeah, sure. What do you want? And he said, uh, 
How about his uh, fights? Like his, could he really fight? There's that theme again. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll do, I'll do what I can on that. I, I didn't have all the information that I would later come to acquire, but I, I wrote this piece, and within it, I, I, I referenced Joe Lewis. I didn't say they fought, because I, I may not even have spoke. I did. I spoke to Bob Wall at that point. But I said, Joe Lewis went up to Bruce's house to challenge him. And that's what Joe had told me in our interview. And um, Bruce put the ball back in Joe's court and nothing happened. And in fact, you know, according to, uh, I said sources, didn't name Bob Wall at the time, or Joe Lewis at the time who told me this, he called him a punk. And I said, it takes some cojones to call Joe Lewis a punk, you know, to his face. And it was, that was just a paragraph out of a multi-paragraph article. I didn't think anything of it because I was working at Muscle and Fitness at the time and Black Belt was a, a tangential thing, so I did it. Wow, I got a letter from Joe Lewis and he was pissed and he copied the guy that did Parade Magazine and he copied Linda Lee and, and I never challenged Bruce Lee and... And I thought, yeah, I, I better call him. Because at that point, I, I, I still respected Joe Lewis, you know. And uh, so I phoned him. And uh, I said, yeah, Joe, this is John Little. I got this rather stern letter from you and uh, thought we'd better discuss it. Well, you threw me to the dogs, he said. I said, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I make my money doing these Bruce Lee seminars and you're blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, so that's what it is. You're worried you're going to lose seminar money on this. I said, he said, oh, I never challenged Bruce. I said, you did tell me. I've got it on tape. You told me that you went up to challenge Bruce. I said, Wait, go to challenge him to what? Play checkers? You know, and it was like, and he was going on. And anyway, the conversation didn't end well. Uh, and I hung up and I thought, Jesus, what an asshole, you know. Uh, <laughs> And, and that was it. And I, I was a little bit crestfallen because I like, like I said, I, I grew up liking this guy. But that, that it is what it was. And I saw it for what it was. He didn't want any indication that there was animus between he and Bruce because now he was in the Bruce Lee business. You know, right. he wasn't selling, learn how to, you know, the Okinawan Tay system. You know, uh, it was Jeet Kune Do, it was Bruce Lee and, and, and the people were buying it. And I, I don't begrudge anyone making a living. And yes, he did spend time with Bruce and he was certainly free to trade on that uh, experience. But uh, then I, I started to get uh, you know, people telling me, oh, Joe Lewis, he hates you, boy. He's, uh, he was at a seminar and he talked about you. And then in an interview with Paul Bax, he even denied that I ever interviewed him. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I got an hour and a half on tape uh, of <laughs> you and I talking. But um, anyway, yeah, I was on his hit list. And it's funny, I remember... I was I was pissed at that because it just I thought it was juvenile, you know, yes. for a guy I I had held up very high. Uh, and I remember going in uh, for dinner with uh, Jesse Glover, and I don't know, but I was still pissed about this thing, and it came out, and I said, "That is Joe Lewis, idiot," you know, blah blah blah. And I don't even know. I, I was saying, you know, uh, you know, he's got a, some sort of hit list on me. I said I should just go over to his school. And uh, Jesse goes, I don't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> as a, as a uh, world champion martial artist, I make a good writer. Yeah, so. <laughs> I can yeah, imagine I just remember, Jesse. I just like, remember Jesse's face. He's going, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I can imagine after. Jesse saying that too because he Jesse had always this very like very slow paced yeah. way of talking. That was just the way it came out. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a I good idea. That, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I mean, that that was it. So there's there's been a lot. Uh, it's funny. There's been some stuff written already prior to this book coming out because some of Joe's people anticipate that that anecdote will be in there. Right, right. It it like, seems well, to be I popping up in the comments a lot. Yeah, like, there'd be that just that between Joe Lewis and John Little and that, and it was like, well, be that as it may, that I'm not talking about my opinion on on Joe Lewis. That's not even in the book. I I, I say what a great martial artist he was, but th these are statements from people that were there. 
Right. Not my statements. They're their statements. Right. Right. And uh, and they're on tape. These are not things I plucked out of the air. Yeah. So, but anyway, long answer to a very simple question. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's why we got you on here. You're the you're the guy who knows where all the bodies are buried, so to speak, as far <laughs> as these stories go. Um, it's interesting because our very first podcast together, we talked about the you know the real fights of Bruce Lee. We talked about the the fight in Seattle with the um, in the handball court with the Japanese fighter Yoichi, and we talked about the perennial Wong Jack man. And we talked about a little bit about Lao Tai Chun and this stuff. What was interesting though, is after reading this book, obviously all of those fights are in there and you, um, you know, and you have all the notes in the back so people can reference exactly where you got this information from. This isn't just like random stories plucked from your head, you know, I, I mean, a sizable chunk of this book is in fact, uh, you, the bibliography and your sources and everything, which is really fantastic. What I thought was really great about the book is basically what we've been talking about so far in this episode. It's, yeah, we, we kind of did the fights in that first podcast, but it's all these kind of like sparring matches and these kind of back and forths that he had with other people, um, yeah. not just the kind of hardcore fights or the challenges on the set of Enter the Dragon, but these things like what happened with Joe Lewis. I'm really interested in... In another one, um, another sparring match that he had, um, but, which I think was a little bit more on the friendly side, but it was, was with another high-level martial artist at that time, Luis Delgado. Oh, yeah. And I remember seeing the footage of Luis in the backyard there doing some kicks, I think, with uh, Dan Inosanto, and he was even doing a kick sequence which Bruce later used in Enter the Dragon, like verbatim. Like, the, like oh. you could see Bruce is looking at it, and he's really you know, looking at these high level guys and learning from them. Um, and you know, when people talk about, Oh, Bruce never fought this guy or, ne or never had any real fights. Well, it, sh it surely seems that the people who are the top of the food chain at that time in terms of competitive fighting, which was mostly point karate. Um, if they didn't have a sparring match with Bruce Lee, they still had a tremendous amount of respect for him. And there must be a reason now, um, can you say a little something about uh, Luis Delgado? Because I thought that one was interesting and he was also quite skillful. Hey everyone, just want to let you know Wing Chun Illustrated is now offering a paperback edition through Amazon reaching a larger global market. And no, they're not ditching the glossy magazine edition through MagCloud. You can now simply choose the version of this magazine you prefer and the one with the cheapest shipping wherever you live. Order your copy of Wing Chun Illustrated today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping for Prime members. Go and check that out. Yeah, he's an interesting guy and, and he's the guy who beat Chuck Norris in competition. Uh, but he said that he'd never been more baffled in his life than when he sparred Bruce Lee, like he was swinging at phantoms. And that's a common refrain from people that sparred Bruce. And it's funny, you know, the arguments that we've all heard over the years, he never fought in tournaments, you know, not like Chuck or Joe or Mike or pick the champion. But all the guys that did fight in tournaments lost in sparring to Bruce Lee. <laughs> right. These are all the champions, you know. Uh, I, there's guys in there that, that beat Bill Wallace in competition and won championships and lost to Bruce in sparring. There's guys that beat um, Joe Lewis in competition and lost to Bruce in sparring. Guys that beat Chuck Norris and lost to Bruce in sparring. So really, what's it mean? Okay, yeah, these guys won tournaments, but Bruce, when they sparred Bruce, they lost. So what did that tournament championship really mean? Right. Um, and, and that's a, an interesting statistic. There was no encounter where Bruce Lee lost to one of these guys. I mean, number one, his ego wouldn't have taken it. And, sure. and, and number and so, but again, I think just to go off topic a bit, I think what made Bruce so good was an almost pathological obsession with fighting. Everything was fighting, 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 fighting. These guys were champions. Yes, they, they obviously were very dedicated in their craft and very passionate, but they weren't pathological about it. They didn't eat, sleep, and drink it. Even Chuck Norris was surprised when he'd go to Bruce's house and Bruce would be watching TV and training, but training for fighting, not training for body beautiful, not training because uh, you know he's trying to rehabilitate a bicep. He, he was training for a fight. Larry Hartzell told me that Bruce used to watch TV and when there was a camera cut, he would punch. 
to get his get his reaction time down. So right. you hear how many cuts there are in a in a half hour television show. He's punching there, and that's over and above his other training. That's training his reaction time. Everything was keyed in on fighting from when he was out at a restaurant eating food to when he was listening to different sounds in his headset and trying to focus on one and not the other um, to all the apparatus that he had for training. It was about sharpening reflexes. It was about uh, undoing the accordion knot of another person's style and finding its weakness and its strengths, uh, not so that he would use these but so that how would I defeat this guy? And you see that in his writings. You know, how would I defeat a such and such? It was always fighting, fighting, fighting. If he walked into a room at a party, it was like, okay, who would I fight here? Who might give me trouble? You know, who's, what would I do against this guy? I mean, that was 24-7. That was his mindset. So when a guy who's that, you know, focused, riveted, obsessed, uh, comes into contact with another guy who's a champion, what do you think is going to happen? Right. You know, Bruce is going to, he's going to want it. And that's why I've, I don't have any evidence of this, but I, I long suspected that when Bruce met Chuck in the famous elevator sequence in Washington, and they stepped out into the hallway to discuss martial arts, it wasn't a discussion. <laughs> and it's no coincidence that a week or two weeks later, Chuck's signing up for lessons with Bruce. Bruce's thing would have been the same thing he said to Ryan O'Neill and a hundred other guys, show yes. me, try and hit. Me. Yeah. And then they would have found out that they didn't have the arsenal to do it. Right. I mean, he was, he was a phenom. It's like Jesse told me, I'll never forget that. I think it's in the book too. But I, we were talking about other martial artists and, you know, bigger guys, world champions like Bob Wall and Joe and all those guys saying, yeah, Bruce was good. Maybe, maybe he could have been a lightweight, you know, champion in tournaments and and uh, Jesse that really pissed Jesse off he was saying that uh, he said all these guys that say well I'm bigger than Bruce and he's smaller than me he goes let's concede for a moment that their size means something he said he would just blind them right blind them he said and and he said not to mention he hit harder than anyone I've ever seen Uh, he said I don't think there was a person heavyweight lightweight anywhere on the planet that would have beat him that was Jesse's uh, estimation that wasn't just blind, you know, obedience or obedience from a, a student. Jesse had won the Pacific Northwest Judo Championship fourteen years in a row. This was a this was a grappler. This was a very good grappler. Uh, this was a street fighter. This was a guy who was a member of the LA gang culture. Um, and he, you know, and he and Bruce hadn't spoken. I don't think since sixty five, sixty six. Yeah, they also had a somewhat acrimonious uh, yeah, parting of ways. And yet that's that's his memory of Bruce Lee. And the cool thing about Jesse is his book came out in 76. So Bruce had only been dead for three years. And it was self-published. It wasn't. It never appeared in the magazines. I didn't know about it until I interviewed are you, him. Are you talking about uh, Bruce Lee between Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do? Yeah, yeah. yeah Great I, book. I, I, still the I, best book on Bruce Lee I've ever written. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, when I say that to people, they think I'm crazy for a couple of reasons. One, very few people have seen the book. And uh, and it is, it's like typewritten, self-published. Yeah. I remember when I ordered it from Jesse Glover, I ordered it directly from him. I sent the check. I had overpaid by $1.26. And Jesse Glover sent me a check back for $1.26 for the overpayment. And wow. I still have the check. Yeah, I was um, going to say, did you cash it? Yeah, I wouldn't. No, make it. I would never cash it. I still have yeah. that check. Dollar twenty six. So much respect for Jesse. He was the guy that, again, I was interviewing people right for the book, or I'm sorry, for the Muscle and Fitness article in 1993. And I'd spoken to Bob Wall, and Bob told Bob Wall told me how great he was, and, and I spoke to Joe Lewis, and he told me really that Muscle and Fitness should be doing a piece on him. You know, because he was so great and in great shape. And June Ree, same thing. He could do a sidekick with a glass of water on his head. <laughs> um, you know, he was in great shape. He should be in the magazine. All these guys were promoting themselves. Yeah, I'd have to drag them back onto the topic of Bruce. Jesse, it was like stepping back in time. And he told me stuff that I had no knowledge of. And it was fascinating. And... Uh, after I, at the end of the interview, he said, I'll send you my book. And I thought, book? I didn't know you had a book. And 
this little red spiral bound yep. book showed up in the mail about a week later and I started to read it. I couldn't put it down. Yeah. This day, it's like I say, it's to me, it's the best book bar none ever written on Bruce Lee. Yep. Uh, I would agree. And, and it's, it's not written in a fancy way. It's some paragraphs are two pages long. It's yep. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, it's not the most eloquent book about Bruce Lee, but that is actually, that's actually, I think what makes it so great. Cause he's just saying what <clears throat> he knew. He's like telling all the stories. It, nothing has like any embellishment on it. And it was written it's a contemporary, at least to the time period, book. Yeah. I mean, it was written just a couple of years later. Um, and, yeah, I think it, it, it's a shame. I don't know if there's any way people can get a hold of it. I, I bought all the rest of his books, too, which I also thought were great. He had other books where he had went and visited uh, Wong San Leung's guys and compared the techniques. And, well, yeah, I remember uh, the uh, – I have I have two of Jesse's books. Um, the one that we've been talking about, the covers – long gone off it because it's spiraled. Uh, but I had the uh, Bruce Lee's non-classical Gung Fu. Yes. But they had another book, which I never, I could never find. I uh, have, I have that one. Next time I see you, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it. If you remind really, me next time I see you. Yeah. yeah I'll bring it. Yeah. 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 Anything from Jesse is gold. Um, yeah. I, in some respects, I think he was the guy that got the most from Bruce. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, he really, he really understood the the Wing Chun mechanism, the power punch, um, yeah. and uh, and he was quite simple in his approach. He didn't he didn't start adding a bunch of stuff. He didn't. Say, no. he, he was like someone. Uh, there, there's a, a somewhat um, interesting story about um, Jesse Glover in relation to to the Leung Ting organization uh, in the uh, late 70s. Uh, Sifu Kanspecht, who's a, you know one of Leung Ting's most famous students, uh, wanted to kind of find out what the big deal was about Jesse Glover after he had been learning wing, you know, Leung Ting Wing Chun for a few years. Went to Seattle in the late 70s, met Jesse Glover and his brother Mike Lee, yeah. and was very impressed with uh, both of them. And uh, started inviting Jesse Glover to come to Germany to teach seminars for the W for the Langting students, which of course very much angered Langting that there was like yeah. another sheriff in town coming and teaching his guys, yeah. uh, and it kind of led to about three years of a little bit of weirdness between Sivu Kanspecht and Sivu Langting, and then eventually they had patched everything back up. But the interesting thing was the first time Jesse Glover came. Uh, the seminars were packed. Everyone wanted to learn from this real student of Bruce Lee, this first student of Bruce Lee. And, yeah. you know, they learned his, you know, couple chi sao combos, couple power punching, the, you know, the standard stuff he liked to teach. And then, you know, they brought him again. And by about the third or fourth time they brought him, the seminar started to get a little bit smaller because what they realized was he was always teaching the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and so it wasn't like some of the other guys who are like, they're always adding things or they're always like changing stuff. It's like Jesse knew, you know, I'm, I'm going to put a number on it, which is not accurate, but like Jesse had like 15 things from Bruce, yeah. uh, which were just polished and powerful and amazing. And he could make it work, whether it was a classical Wing Chun guy in front of him or a karate guy or whatever. And he dedicated decades to like really mastering these few techniques. And I feel that yeah. he well, kind of really did embody what Bruce was really well, talking the thing about. Is, Jesse was an inter interesting period in Bruce's life because it, Gung Fu was new to him and, and he picked Bruce's brain unlike anybody I've, I've encountered. I mean, the knowledge he had about Chinese Kung Fu, even in that 1976 book that he had retained from 63, shows that he was a sponge because that information was not readily available yeah. in, in America. And, you know, he always said that, you know, each student is going to have their strengths, they're going to have their weaknesses. And his thing was if he could teach someone how to throw a punch with damage, um, that was that was like 80% of his first teaching that he would give sure. it. And then the other was, you know, he thought Chi Sao was very important. And um, and then he would go into trapping to throw you, but he'd have that student throw that punch thousands of times. In fact, I remember when he came to Seattle to visit me, not to visit me specifically, um, but he had called me and said, I'm going to be in Seattle. And I thought, hey, what a great opportunity to bring Jesse over to the office where I had Bruce's archive, right? All his books and all that stuff. And uh, I thought, because Jesse will see stuff 
in the case of some books that he hadn't seen in you know 30 years anyway. So Jesse came over with his student Wolfgang, uh, who was a well-built uh, guy, uh, and I think probably Jesse's top guy um, and quiet. But you could tell looking at Wolfgang that this guy was very capable. You know. Sure. Uh, Anyway, Jesse came in and he was uh, very interesting. He goes, would you have any of the stuff in Bruce's writing where he was teaching in L.A.? And I said, yeah, I have this curriculum. You know, pulled it out and gave it to him. And he went, mm-hmm. this, is, this is what he was teaching in Seattle. It's exactly the same. And I, I was kidding. I said, oh, don't tell me that. And he goes, yeah. He goes, man, he goes, this. And he was going through the Wing Chun techniques, right, that we're being taught. Right. He said, yeah, that's what he taught. And then... He uh, was looking in the library for a, a judo book he'd loaned Bruce back in like 1961. He never got back, but he didn't locate it. Um, but he was, I forget where I was going with this, but just that he was, uh, you know, Jesse was, he knew all about this stuff. Like I'd show him stuff. Oh, I remember that book. And he told me who Bruce borrowed it from, you know, Fred wow. Sato or somebody like that from, from Seattle. I mean, but he, his memory was like, super sharp Uh, but he was all about um, again finding out what your attributes are not complicating it with a bunch of techniques that may or may not work for you but making the most simple process of shedding until you have two or three techniques that you know you can rely on if it gets to that point and like you said if you know that um, you're going to do well in about 90% of the fights you have unless you're fighting a seasoned martial artist sure sure and not a lot of those guys at the bar giving you a rough time, you know. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, John, this was amazing. Now, before we get out of here, um, when how how can people get a hold of your book? Uh, is it is it uh, is it best to get it on Amazon pre order? What is uh, what what is the best way it's, for it's, people to get a hold of it? Well, it's been my experience that Amazon typically has the best price. Uh, they're usually cheaper than the other online retailers. You should be able to get it in any bookstore, uh, but any online bookstore carries it. And from what I know, Amazon will probably be a few bucks cheaper than other places. And they're pretty quick on delivery. One thing I wanted to ask you, because you are the Kung Fu genius, um, <laughs> and and more specifically, the Wing Chun genius. Um, uh-huh. did, was there anything about... Wing Chun in that book in terms of Bruce's embrace of it that was new to you? Um, no, I mean, um, you know, I've, I've been around the block in terms of, you know, reading about, you know, Bruce's different fights and phases and how he kind of adapted his Wing Chun over time. Um, you know, there are some people who kind of claim that he had given up completely on Wing Chun towards the end there. Um, which I never really felt was the case. Um, yeah. I, I I think it was just more about him kind of finding a way to graft some of the Wing Chun ideas into a long-range framework and uh, n- as opposed to a wholesale abandoning of it. I mean, I think Wing Chun people are weird because uh, <laughs> because I am one, so I know from firsthand experience. Uh, if if you don't do the technique in the exact prescribed way that's taught in the class, they're like, oh, well, this isn't really Wing Chun or this isn't really Paxao, right? But the right. idea is that when you, when you understand Wing Chun, Wing Chun is actually based on an idea. It's based on a concept. And there are many different ways that it can be practiced depending on your body type, your temperament. It can be more offensive, more defensive. And when I look at what Bruce Lee was applying uh, from Wing Chun into his Jeet Kune Do or into his fights... I see the Wing Chun in there, even if the form or the shape looked a little bit different. And I think Wing Chun people get kind of a bug up their butt if someone does the Pak Sao starting in a side-on frame as opposed to a squared-up frame, and then they think, oh, no, this is totally different. And I go, no, it's, it's, it's a quick hand immobilization while you go in and strike. And there are different ways to do that. So I feel that the way he was doing Wing Chun was evolving as opposed to him just kind of giving up on it. And so I still see those threads even in his later period, you know? So that's kind of how I look at it. A couple of things that leapt out at me, and I'm not a Wing Chun man, um, but I've heard the arguments too. And and the general general non-research belief is that 
Bruce had his fight with Juan Jackman. Right. Decided to change his art. Um, went into, you know, boxing and went into uh, using his legs. And then he was a completely different art than Wing Chun. It was Jeet Kune Do. And it, it's interesting because of my research, I always found elements that contradicted that. And when I was putting it together chronologically, I, I, I was able to trace where the, I believe, the origin of that misperception came from. And that was from an article that appeared in the Bruce Lee Memorial issue written by Mitoshi Uhara, who was the publisher and a good friend and student of Bruce's, who, who quotes Bruce as saying, I got into a fight with a kung fu cat in San Francisco and was chasing him and kept punching, you know, the son of a bitch's head and my, till my fists were swelling. And at that point, I realized, you know, essentially, Wing Chun was uh, not too practical. And mm -hmm. I changed to that. That was the seed of this thing. But right. when I interviewed Matoshi Uhara, he told me he made that stuff up. <laughs> he said, well, you know, whenever you see Mitch Stom and Mike Plain, uh, like in the last, the first issue of Fighting Stars, Mike Plain wrote the interview with Bruce. He goes, I made that up. And yet, how many of us hung on those words? Sure, sure. That's the that's common lore. Words. That's the accepted lore. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and the thing is, the, the, the big glaring thing that I should have caught years ago was that I got into a fight in San Francisco with a kung fu cat. They didn't fight in San Francisco. It was Oakland. But Oakland. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bruce would know that. Right. Someone who wasn't there would not. Right. And so that was the genesis of that whole he abandoned Wing Chun nonsense. And right. to make, make matters worse, when he did his book, uh, Bruce Lee, The Incomparable Fighter, that two-sentence bit expanded to about 15 paragraphs. Now, that's a oh. tremendous feat of intellectual prestidigitation to <laughs> be able to recall <laughs> verbatim what somebody said for 15 paragraphs Sure. Uh, 10 years after the guy died. But he never, I asked him specifically, I said, did you record, audio record your interview with Bruce? No. I mean, the only ones that you can be absolutely certain Bruce Lee said it are the first two black belt profiles on him and his his article on Jeet Kune Do. Sure. But, but the other ones, that was, that was, you know, he said, well, I knew Bruce so well and he'd, you know, he'd get the issue and he'd say, did you write that? And I, so yeah, and he was like, yeah, okay, Bruce didn't mind, you know, but because it was it was within the spirit of the law of what Bruce, right. not the letter of the law. So that was the genesis of that. And then I looked at what Bruce did in 1972, and I think I listed it in the book. It was like a, a one-man PR campaign for Wing Chun. Right. This from a guy who was alleged to have tossed it out back in 65. You know, he did the Chi Sao on Long Street. He did the article in Black Belt in 1972 with a photograph of he and Ip Man from the 60s, 63 or 65. He wrote a book on Wing Chun. He didn't even write yeah. a book on Chi Kung Do. Right. You know, he had right. the photos taken, didn't do it, did a book on Wing Chun. Yeah. Um, all of these things were going on in 1972. Right. So I can't think of another martial art where, like, Bruce didn't do one on... Uh, on uh, Taekwondo, he didn't do a book on Judo, he didn't do a book on Jiu-Jitsu, he did a book on Wing Chun. Why? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a very, very interesting point. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think that, yeah, now that you say about, you know, kind of Yuhara making up that story and then that, even for me, that was kind of common accepted lore, it made its way into dragging the Bruce Lee story. That's like a whole plot point in there. And when in reality, I think it had something to do with a type of opponent that's kind of frustrating for everyone. It's the guy who just runs away from you and doesn't want to engage. Yeah. You know, and well, I think and, that's what and the yeah. style that the guy fought was Northern Shaolin. And that was Wang. Wang was Northern Shaolin and Tai Chi. And I don't think Tai Chi played a role in it. But prior to that, he'd fought on his rooftop fight a Northern Shaolin stylist. But the guy came in on him. So Bruce's right. punches hit with authority. Yeah. You know, whereas this guy was running away. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it had nothing to do with the inefficiency of Wing Chun. It, it had to do everything with 
the limitations of Bruce's cardiovascular conditioning up to that sure. point. Sure. And then he realized, shit, some guys, I'm going to be fighting for a lot more than about 10 seconds. You know, it's going to be, yeah. it's, so I better start running and you know, skipping and all those sort of things. So Right, right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm really glad you brought up that point. I think that is a great place to end this awesome conversation. Uh, thank you so much, John, for uh, doing this again. Uh, absolutely love that it. it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, congratulations on your new book. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank um, you so much. And you have a really awesome blurb on the back from a cool I guy, do. too. A genius, no less. <laughs> Scott Coker, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was cool, too, because when a guy, Scott Coker knows fighters. That's yeah. his job. He's president yeah. of Bellator. So if he thinks Bruce Lee was one of the best fighters of the 20th century, um, it doesn't really matter what Chuck Norris says. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and before we get out of here, I just want to say one more thing. Not only does this book chronicle all the different fights, but you also have a chart at the end where you basically list everything out with the record. I'm not going to give it away. You got to buy the book. <laughs> we got the record and we have a sparring record and you have all the um, the notes in the back where you got all your information from. And you ha also have a section on quotes from people like, you know, karate champions, MMA fighters, kickboxers on what they have to say about Bruce Lee. And I think it's, it's not only a really great work in terms of the, uh, the research and putting it all together, but I also think it's a real proper tribute to Bruce Lee's actual legacy without you know, making up stories and without going overboard. It is uh, the exact book that, um, that everyone needs to read right now. So again, Wrath of the Dragon, The Real Fights of Bruce Lee by John Little. Get yours. And thank you so much, John. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Be well. Sure. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any ideas for a future episode of the podcast, go ahead and put those in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me seafood, but to you I'm sea gung. And I produce masses. You surpassed us. Your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Alright, peeps. On to the f shit is that. New York sirens. Alright, peeps, on today's episode of the junk. The Jung Fu? Yeah.